Hello, my name is Aviva, and I will be having a conversation with JJ for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Communal Oral Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It's March 3rd, 2018, and it's being recorded on Broom Street in Chinatown in my apartment. Sorry. 2019. Oh God, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Um, so we'll just start with a, a question. Um, what was New York like for you when you were younger? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, well, it was many things. I grew up in a religious household, in a modern Orthodox Jewish household. So in some sense, I saw New York very much through a religious lens. And there are so many resources and communities and things that I identify with now that I didn't know exist or coexisted in the city. Um, that I wish if I had more awareness of like LGBT programming or different denominations of Judaism and um, um, DGNC folks um, and people with a more um, liberal or independent um, state of mind, like art people like me. Um, so that was one. Also, um, New York felt very much as it does still now. Um, it, it makes me feel like um, a number. And it many times makes me feel like um, not really valued in the city as I would like it to be because there's just so many people in the city and people have this false idea that diversity means inclusion. There's a lot of isms in the city and a lot of phobias in the city. And um, seeing through my experiences, like even after coming out, the amount of transphobia and homophobia that exists in New York City alone, um, it makes you feel like sometimes you want to hide um, and othered and very, and very scared and very unsure of where to connect. And growing up, not only in the Lower East Side, but going to New York where it's like everything's so fast paced and there's so many people and everyone's competing for survival. But obviously those with more privileged identities, straight, white, cisgender, or of a certain faith and whatever, so on and so forth, um, get to succeed more on this ladder. It just often feels like... Um, yeah, it, it just often feels like you're not you're not valued as much because you're not on a certain high level of the hierarchy in the city. So it's just very overwhelming to find your place. It's very overwhelming to stay on your ground. It's still very stressful when you're not in spaces that affirm you to speak out and identify openly as who you are without having to... Um, fear that you're going to be rejected. I mean, like, I just went to a panel recently and um, I'm so used to, like, just saying my name and pronouns so that I don't have to be misgendered. But also, I mean, I didn't say it that time, but it was an interfaith panel. But um, because it's also asking a lot of me to um, always identify and always be open and vulnerable about who I am and 
sometimes people just don't want to hear, oh, there's someone who is gender non-conforming in the space and have their looks and their bigotry and in that space. And sometimes you're just like, okay, let me pretend to be like everyone else. Mm. So, um, it's, it's, for me, it's been very much of a challenge to be myself and feel that like other New Yorkers will respect that. Um, yeah, I feel there's a lot of pressure on me to often conform for safety, um, from verbal, physical, emotional violence. And there's a big part of my, who I am is not shaped by what I desire, how I would like to present, but very much of like, um, pressures from, for safety. And what is your relationship to modern orthodoxy now? I don't have a relationship at all. Um, modern orthodoxy is not an inclusive faith at all. Um, LGBT, um, it's very one-minded about the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I had my own coming-of-age experience of being in Israel and coming to realization about my queer identity, coming to realization of my learning disabilities and my other disabilities and um, the fact that I always just never fit in, it made me explore outside of the box that I was supposed to subscribe to. Um, meeting with people of different backgrounds in the country and exploring the country. And um, modern orthodoxy is entirely Zionist and entirely um, the religion and the, and the land is so connected, but it's not only the land, it's the politics that go with it. And if you're even slightly critical of any policy, even like foreign policy or education, you're labeled as self-hating Jew. So um, when I came back from um, studying in Israel after two years, from 2011 to 2013, um, I was still like one foot in the closet and one foot out. Like, it's what I was used to, but I was also trying to find community and trying to leave. And I think what, um, and but I knew I had to leave, and also I felt pressure to leave because um, I wasn't religious anymore, and I was being open with my queer identity, and I was ostracized for that. And I still feel like I'm a, being that I still live in the Lower East Side and still around the same people, I still feel like a stranger in my own neighborhood um, because a lot of people just dismiss me and my identity because of being queer or not subscribing to a certain faith and people just don't understand there's a lot of worlds within New York City and um, it's not as liberal and free and as diverse as people always make it think it is. Um, and then especially being openly part of a minority, I mean, you're just, especially in this political climate, um, you're attacked and you're vulnerable. Um, and I'm really scared. There are times that I feel like I want to join political groups and make a change, but I have to internalize that even in 2019 that people don't want to hear a queer trans person of color. People don't want to hear me. And that makes me feel um, dehumanized, um, that people don't care what I have to say and people roll their eyes at what they say because they think I'm some alien or um, something so stigmatized that they've constructed. And yet I'm trying not only to fight for my survival, but trying to fight for a world that will be more um, accepting and embracing. Um, okay. Which is why I 
I wanted to have that other thing deleted a while back. Cause that Wait, was... what other thing? So, um, when I came back from Israel in 2013, um, I started going to a lot of queer spaces and I was exploring my identity, my gender and who I am. And I had a lot of pitfalls where, um, some coming outs have hurt me. Um, I was discriminated against a lot by the, um, both by the Orthodox community and by people in general. Um, I thought I was naive thinking, oh, secular people are all accepting, but that's not true. There's homophobia and transphobia everywhere. Um, and a way to cope with a lot of my suffering and my pain was to make art about it. And I was, um, in 2015 in a filmmaking program called with real works where how Hazel became my mentor. Um, I would have the option to choose a mentor and one of my mentors happened to be trans. Um, and I was working on a film about the intersections of gender and religion. Um, and they were perfect for it, and they've also are of a similar faith upbringing. Um, and it was just, we were so compatible, and we made this great little film about, um, you know, my experiences of struggling to discover my gender, but also in a religion that segregates it. Um, and that got me a lot of attention, both good and bad. What kind of attention? What do you mean, attention? So when I, when we produced the film and it was out there and there was articles written and stuff like that, there were people who, rather than me saying quietly or me being like going up to people saying out, it was like a very big, I'm out Mm -hmm. and this is who I am. And I was very much afraid and I've still have internalized a lot that I'm going to be targeted for that. And I've had people who've like made assumptions about my identity and have came up to me without like completely crossing boundaries. People who are religious who are like saying like, so are you transitioning? Are you having surgery? Are you having this? Are you that? Like all these invasive questions about my identity, which really impacted negatively my journey with um, discovering who I am, internalizing that I'm going to be rejected, rejected so much that there isn't a point of being out or there isn't something beautiful that could come out of being out. Um, and then over the years I've done other projects, which over time I felt more confident of sharing my story as part of healing and not caring about who rejects it. But, um, I did fear for a long time of just being vulnerable has, um, a social stigma attached to it. And, um, yeah, it's I'm I'm very much in a limbo now because sometimes I want to tell my story. Oh. That's fine. There are times that I've wanted to tell my story um, of things that I've survived and things that I've went through, and other times I feel afraid and I feel like with just knowing how many trolls out there and how much hate that I've received that. Um, I feel and is like, it mostly from the Orthodox community? No, all types of people. Okay. All types of people who have, like, um, sent me a lot of um, hate for who I am and my stance, and I've internalized that, and sometimes it makes me feel like the majority of the world is against me. Um, and when you're part of the queer community, especially the trans community, it's such a small 
community that is marginalized. Um, I know that there's so much fighting within the community because um, people are oppressed and it's just natural to let it off onto other people. Um, yeah. When you were younger, did you have any conception of transness? Like, what was your earliest memory of a trans person? Sure. Um, so, I knew I was different. I knew, I, so Lori's side, I feel like part of it is like the Berlin Wall. The Williamsburg Bridge, very much till today, divides the neighborhood. One side is low income and people of color. One side is white, Jewish, upper class. Now my family are Middle Eastern Jewish descent and we lived in the black and brown side. And um, my mother always told me that your people are on the other side. And even at a younger age, I knew that wasn't true because I was like, those Jews are different. They speak a different language. We speak Arabic and Hebrew. They speak Yiddish and English. They have different culture, different customs. They have different class. They think they're better than us, like all these levels of oppression and privilege. Um, and my mom was saying like, we are the same and I knew we weren't. And then as time went on, when I had to be forced to be grouped in certain spaces, I knew I was different from other cisgender boys. I knew I didn't like to do boyish things as much. I'd like to do more girly things. And I identified more with feminine things. And I wasn't... It was it was terrifying because, like, you were... Um, you're trying to be yourself and you're innocent about it. And there is no one like you who are visible at all. And everyone's making fun of you and shaming you. And I still have that those years of trauma of struggling to just be myself and give myself slack for it when it was just boy or girl. You either had to fit all what's attributed to boy or girl, and I felt like I was in the middle. Um, and the first images of transness, which I've internalized, was obviously the Mari show and that transphobia and putting trans people as a form of mockery. Um, and it also goes back to just both religious and also men around me who are policing my identity and telling me what is a boy or a man supposed to be, thinking that was an appropriate label for me, or what is this and this, and that I'm I'm crossing the boundaries. And I feel like I still get that, like if I'm walking in New York City and I have a purse or I have nail polish on and jewelries, I feel like um, I internalize when I have both men and women, mostly women, who like look at me and are like, you've crossed the line of gender. You're not, you're not performing gender right, even in New York City. And that makes me feel sometimes afraid that they're gonna dismiss my humanity and see me as a form of mockery because they don't fit in. And that means they won't respect and accept me and keep me safe. Mm -hmm. Like these are realities that is, it goes from minuscule like that to someone who is filled with hate and bigotry who will just see you and say, you're different, I don't approve, and then will um, we'll be violent. And I've had many assaults in my life, um, physically, verbally. Um, I've been sexually harassed. I've been harassed. And 
a lot of that has made me gone in the closet at times um, and hiding who I am and feeling ashamed of who I am. And I never felt right because I didn't feel like I was being myself at all. And I still don't know what that means to be myself and to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, it just makes me internalize that um, I I feel pressure to be part of a box in order to be safe and respect in society and um, especially with all the political hate and the lack of progress for trans rights, for queer rights, for people of color, all these boxes I'm in, it's scary for me to think of like how people in the past even broke glass ceilings or what do I have to do to be respected and break a ceiling and feel safe and not overwhelmed because not everyone could just break a glass ceiling and not everyone wants to. And I sure don't because that's, that's a lot to be that person. And, um, I'm very much in a recovery state and still trying to figure myself out. So, um, I, I get to be more vocal in spaces that I know I'll be more supported. Obviously it's the natural thing to do. Um, I use other platforms, you know, my social media or whatever, um, and um, build my allies. And What are some places you've connected with that you feel supported by? Um, so one organization called Footsteps, which works with people who grew up um, in the Orthodox world and want to leave it. Um, they're very queer-friendly um, and trans-competent, and they have a lot of queer and trans staff members. And there has been a lot of changes they've made by just my presence there of um, putting signs saying that um, you could use any bathroom that you would like because you used to have a code. So they make that and they're like, gender diversity is welcomed here. And bumper stickers with um, all across the office of like um, gender and sexuality alliance. Um, People using their pronouns in spaces that are not necessarily... LGBT support groups. Um, I was very involved with Manhattan Neighborhood Network, a public media um, channel, and there's a lot of young queer and trans people who are producers there. I produced a talk show about human rights focusing on queer, trans, and immigrant rights. It was Queer Justice, and it was for one season in summer 2018. I was the first non-binary person on a public TV channel, major network, to host it. I was very proud of that. Um, I remember, like, right before we um, aired our first episode, or even just part of recording, because part of it was live and part of it was pre-recorded, I had images of my queer ancestors. I had on my right, I had Audre Lorde, I had Sylvia... And Marsha, and then on my left, I had, um, um, sorry, I'm blanking out. Um, sorry, there was some, oh, um, Feinberg something. Leslie. Leslie Feinberg and Harvey Milk. And just looking at them, like, there was, like, a little whisper inside of my body that said that, like, they have made it, they've been through it, um, And they're giving you, and now it's your responsibility to make more room open for the next generation and how much they've accomplished and the ceilings they've shattered despite everything they've been through. Um, Yeah, and it it had a great 
a great run and great success and we're hopefully gonna have a season two um other spaces i've been to besides queer spaces um well i i go a lot to society for advancement of judaism or reconstructionist synagogue um i volunteer there we do a lot of work with battered women um about different social issues in new york city um yeah but you know what i'm still i'm still discovering where i belong i'm still struggling to find a sense of community because whenever i come to the lower east side again i just don't feel like i have a community there's not really people that i speak to and not only that um as much as i knew i had to leave the community for the sake of my safety um have you sorry have you always lived on the lower east side most of my life yes i spent two years in israel um and then twice in the past few years um because I lived in a toxic home and I still live in a un-queer-not-queer-friendly un home. Um, I was homeless um, two times in my life. Um, so I just moved back from living in the Bronx for a year. Um, I nearly died in the shelter system um, because... Can you talk more about that? Like, not sure. maybe that experience that's triggering, but just the experience of being in a shelter as... Yeah, um... So I was, I was once in 2015 through Ali Forney Center, but Ali Forney, because they had such a full capacity, I was never able to be transferred from an emergency shelter, which was in uh, Queens in Astoria. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but um, then like a transitional housing, which I think would have been great and it would have had other people like me and working, growing to be independent. Um, I obviously had, despite the abuse that I experienced and still experience from my mother and my father and my brother of my identity, um, and other parts of who I am now, um, I still had like, like a Stockholm syndrome where I missed them and I wanted to be near them and it was so scary to be on my own. It was a very nice place. The one through California, there were challenges as well. Um, that I wasn't used to, like, coordinating of, like, who's showering first and, like, dealing with other people's issues. But, um, I was in a crisis one time in 2016. Um, I didn't have my meds. I was starting a new job. I was still shipping my stuff from Lori side to Queens. The trains don't run at night. I was, it was hot. Um... And I once had a severe seizure at work and I wasn't feeling well at this fellowship that I landed at a big advertising agency and um, this openly trans person there. And that was already stressful. Like you're the black sheep in this whole organization. And um, I was severely, um, one night when I was trying to collect my belongings and stuff, I was um, the security guard who harassed me um, um, denied me entry into the building and I was asking to call 911 because it was about to have a blackout and um, they instead pushed me on the street and the first time in my life after an hour or two I ended up um, um, 
on the floor by near the FDR drive. Um, and I was, um, yeah, everyone looked at me as a piece of junk. That was a junkie. And, um, that was, that's three years ago and I'm still filing. I'm still waiting for a response for, from the city of a, um, lawsuit about fired based on disability and discriminated based on gender. You know, my employer took the words of the, um, security guard and said I was violent and said that I was causing a caucus ruckus and um and I lost my job um and I was um I was very dissociated and I had many experiences like that when I was homeless um I was maybe something about just being more vulnerable and then also being openly queer and trans that um perpetrators uh, pick up on and uh, taken advantage physically and verbally, whether on the train. I've been harassed or attacked or in a Popeye. Um, and, um, but then this a year and a half ago, again, I went into a shelter and it was an LGBT shelter, the first of its kind for young adults called Marsha's House, um, which is DHS and it was hell. It was real hell. You There are nights that you're waiting to get a bed because someone doesn't want to do their job and someone doesn't want to put you in the system and doesn't know that you have a pass for working. Um, police coming in and out, security guards, homophobic and transphobic, um, not having the will um, to keep living or keep going. Um, no one really gives a damn about you and wants you to figure it out on your own to like get public assistance and get a job and whatever all together in like one of the most unsafest neighborhoods in the Bronx. Like, um, there was a horrible, um, gang murder that happened block away that hit all national news. And like, that was where we were situated in. And after being there eight months, um, I had a severe mental health breakdown. Um, and I, Felt like I couldn't take it anymore and I was going to be a harm for myself unless I got help. So I went, I've asked to be transferred and I was transferred to a mental health shelter, but those shelters are only gendered specific. And I went to one in um, Brooklyn, which was for women. And um, at first I thought everything would be okay. It was mostly, it was interesting. The younger people, I guess they just either know about TGNC folks or they just don't care. They were more accepting and embracing, but it was all the older women that were very transphobic um, and saying all sorts of stuff towards me and it made me question my identity and making me question if I'm valid or not. Or, um, and it's funny, every time I've been homeless, I've also been, um, I had a crisis of, um, going on hormones or not. Um, I, I just sometimes felt like I had to stop hormones and stop transitioning, um, because I didn't feel safe that, um, my gender out in the open is going to be, um, keep me safe physically and emotionally and mentally. Um, so it's been a very confusing journey for me because, um, 
there are many times I was saying, I'm sure this is the route I want to go to. And there's a lot of obstacles in the way. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, I mean, it's not the best, but I try to, um, what's it called? Try to make, um, amends with my, um, biological family because I just, I felt like it was going to take my life so many times in the shelter, um, for just the amount of oppression it was going through and how the system expects you kind of like prison once you're, um, out to, um, to figure it out on your own. It's so like prison expects when you leave, when you, the world expects when you leave prison that you're supposed to find some way to be independent without being reliant on the systems and the shelter thinks despite all your oppression and everything, but you're going to somehow get yourself up, work like crazy and secure a house and everything's going to be good and you're going to be reintegrated to society. Um, so I had to go back to my bio family, but with that, that they've asked of me to, um, give up many parts of my identity in order to be accepted. Can't be on hormones. Can't dress this way. Can't act this way. Can't be this way. Um, I didn't give in completely, but, um, it just makes me feel closeted and it makes me feel that, um, the world doesn't just want to give me space to be myself and express myself. I don't know what's the harm in expressing yourself and identifying however you want to be. The world just wants you to fit a box and it, it's made for certain identities. And I feel the world needs to be a place where anyone could identify as anything and still thrive. Um, we shouldn't have to be something we're not in order to be accepted in society. And that is something I really struggle internally and externally that, um, people should just be accepted and respected and humanized for the sake of just being human. I don't care what they look like, what color, what this, what that, like, it doesn't matter. And we don't, we, that's why it's so, I've used my identities to promote the idea of intersectionality. How I, regardless of our community's issues and the background issues, like as people, we need to work as allies and to understand each other and support each other and not discard each other because um, you can't win, you can't liberate any community without the hands of others. And so often you just see people who are focused on their own community needs and not the other, and um, the queer community and the trans community needs allies. It cannot be done by just themselves. Um, so, I don't, I'm on a journey of figuring myself out, and because of that, I've always identified with uh, they, them, and non-binary, because it just made me feel like to be certain of the uncertainty, just like my artist name, Mix Enigma, the MX is the prefix for non-binary people, mix. And then the enigma is, like I said, to be certain with the uncertainty. Um, and that's how I identify now. And my fashion changes, my how I feel changes, how I identify changes. Um, it's not been so white or black for me, for my identity of like how to identify. And I've tried to find comfort in that. Mm -hmm. Hi. Hey. Um, 
you made me think of how did I came across my name, my choosing of my name. So I go, Jeje Cleopatra Daniels, yes. Um, it's not my close enough to my dead name besides the last name. Um, I knew that I wasn't close to my soul in how I labeled myself and I was in my um, late teens that I was like, I don't like the labels that are being ascribed to me. And I felt that I needed to um, find something that made sense for me. So, um, Jeje is a name that I appreciate because I used to go by Jay. That's not my dead name, but I went by Jay for a while and I didn't have pronouns that I went with. And I went on this um, queer retreat and there was this queer woman who just couldn't box me because she's like, you need a pronoun. How do I call you? Ba, 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 ba. And we were going on this uh, hiking trail and all my butch and femme lesbian friends, <laughs> they were like telling this woman, they were like, just call them Jay, just Jay. Like, what is so hard? Like, don't need a pronoun. And then it just clicked to me, Jeje. Um, how I felt like, yeah, I'm not someone who's boxed and I am a kaleidoscope and I'm ever changing and it's beautiful. Um, and it felt right for me. And then a few years later, I made it um, legal. Obviously, there was a lot of challenges to it. Um, discrimination from my birth parents. Um, still disacknowledgement from people that I grew up with who are like, no, I knew you so many years by this name. Like, you are, um, I don't want to lose that person. I'm like, you're not losing anyone. I just changed my name. Like, I'm the same person. Um it's it's really ridiculous what people come up with um when you take one step in trying to embrace something of who you are and it's different from what was set for you that people don't want to give you space um i'm not going to go into how many experiences of how often people have assumed that my name is inauthentic people who don't know me and they're like what's your real name what did you grow up with what does it mean how do you spell it blah 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 and i was just like it hurt after the whole journey of like, why can't people just embrace and be happy for me that this is my name? So now I don't give people excuses and I don't tell them backstory and I I don't like being um, nice for other people's curiosity. And then Cleopatra, um, not a Jewish name, right? <laughs> um, I, I remember I was in fifth grade and I went to a segregated school, boys and girls, and I didn't feel like I was in the right category at all. And I didn't fit in. I was always sitting at the end of the boys' table, not fitting in. And then whenever I sat at the girls' table, our bodies um, split our experiences. Like, everything about us the same, but couldn't talk about periods. I couldn't talk about so many things that made me feel like I don't fit with either. Um, and I was made fun of a lot for my femininity, a lot. And society has this notorious culture of attacking people's gender and gender um, expressions if it doesn't fit this archetype of 
male masculinity, female femininity, or anything other than male or female. Um, and I, at the time when I was a kid and I didn't have, um, queer icons, artists like Sylvester and Divine, um, and, um, who else? There's all sorts of people that I was, I'm able to look at and look at drag queens and artists and writers and activists and people that I could relate to and affirm my queer identity. Not really anyone non-binary out there, but um, I had to look to women for a long time for empowerment. I had to look to women to affirm my sense of femininity. Um, I had to look to women, up to women for um, for the things that I liked. Um, emotional uh, connection, um, sensitivity, fashion, art that the male world did not provide me at all. And um, obviously it was very discriminated against that. My father would be like, why are you watching America's Next Top Model when you should watch some football game or whatever? Um, which is still a conflict that I'm not going to go into between me and my father. But um, so in fifth grade, I was watching um, Austin Powers, Gold Member, with Beyonce, and Beyonce's character was Foxy Cleopatra. She said, I'm Foxy Cleopatra, I'm a whole lot of woman. And it just made sense for my gender. I was like, I want to be her. This is beautiful, and she's empowering, and she's feminine, and um, gorgeous, and sexy, and everything. And it was like, it made my, my spirit feel good. And I would go into school and go into the boys' class and say, I'm Foxy Cleopatra, I'm a whole lot of woman. And the boys kept asking me to do it and perform it, but I was so naive that they were making me do it to make a mockery of me. And I've internalized for years that um, I had to shed my femininity, and I still internalize it despite being more open about it. Um, that's just, like, one huge example of how toxic gender norms and gender policing becomes it makes people internalize who they are like what is it's like imagine you like vanilla and your whole society says you're only allowed to like chocolate and like that is the world we've constantly lived in where it's said you need to like certain things and that's it and otherwise you're demonized for it and i had to fight a lot through my art um so I got to a point that I felt that I needed to take something that was considered shamed and put love to it. And I added Cleopatra as my middle name um, and um, to always affirm the feminine part of my identity. Now, sometimes with the oppression, whether mental health or actual other forms of oppression, it makes me forget of the value behind it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I should just conform like everyone else and I'll be accepted and I'll be embraced or um, I should have made that decision because I was so discriminated against for embracing this part of me. But um, I've kept it. Um, I wish I had avenues where I felt more free to evolve, whether it's to present how I'd like or to transition or whatever openly. Um, but fear, shame, rejection, 
which has caused uncertainty and um, has made me um, not take that step. Um, so it's where I am now. Who knows where I'll be in 20 years from now. Um, hopefully in a more place, uh, peace of mind. Um, and yeah, and even, um, even my, once I got the idea that like, hey, I could change my name to affirm me, I did the same thing in Hebrew. Um, what's your Hebrew name? My Hebrew name is Aaron. Um, so if you spell in English, E-I-R-O-N, because the name I was given as a child had both an English and Hebrew meaning. Um, and it means someone who pursues peace and is enlightened and, um, is open-minded and I felt that made sense for me that it was also not based in religion it's not a religious uh term it's a Hebrew term but it's nothing to do with religion um and as someone who saw my Judaism was separate from religion um yeah so do you have a connection to any sort of spiritual life I struggle with that a lot because there's a lot of spiritual faiths and practices that are anti-queer and anti-trans. Whether it is part of the text or culturally the community just doesn't make space. Um, There is a small part of me that's connected to Judaism. You know, I appreciate um, mythologies in Hinduism and Buddhism. Um... I don't know. I mean, I've, I've for a long time, I was really connected to the culture and spirit of the Tainos. And I was even going to be a um, minor in Puerto Rican studies. And I felt like, oh, wow, they had a matriarchal society and they appreciated gender diversity and queerness. And, um, and they were way more progressive despite... Um, all the European colonizers that saw them as um, part of the past. Um, But then there was even aspects of like Taino culture that I was just like, well, I'm not for human sacrificing and (laughs) some other things. So I feel like it's going back to Zizhay. Like I don't have to box myself. I pick and choose and try to appreciate, but there still is a real sense of belonging and wanting to just feel like I fit I feel connected. I feel great. I have answers to guide me. I mean, that would be the fantasy and ideal. And the rest is history. Because you see so many people who just fit a box. And there is comfort with that. That's what I talked about in my first film. That like, um, which was also called Mix Enigma. That I, despite criticizing the Orthodox faith as being gender segregated... Um, and oppressive to me and other people, um, I also realize that there is a sense of comfort and power of having a place that you belong and having a community and feeling like, oh, okay, I, I believe in something and other people believe with me too and support me. And I've always been on a fringe of many communities where I'm like, well, in this community might be too much the left and I just don't and this is this and this is that um so I think I'm trying to embrace that I could just have my own position and um 
uninternalized that it's not wrong to be in the middle and it's not wrong to um, to go at your own pace and I just hate being pressured to believe in something whether it's people trying to pressure me of I've had people who try to pressure me with my transition I've had people who try to pressure me with how I'm supposed to identify with I have people who are always trying to conform it's like the world is filled with people who don't want to allow people to live their lives as they are. Mm -hmm. Everyone finds some sort of sick comfort in trying to control people and make them another form of themselves. When we're all different and we all need to be able to give an avenue, ideally, to just um, explore ourselves. And unfortunately, some people have the energy and power to... um, to go out and discover who they are and be who they are. And I say unfortunately because many times um, people have to leave everything they know. I mean, I was watching some documentary of this um, Saudi woman who, like, traveled to Turkey to get to Greece so that she could just be an openly atheist because um, she would be killed in her country and her family would disown her and she didn't want that. Um, and... For queer and trans people, there are a lot of people who have to leave everything they know just to be themselves. Um, And that was very much of a struggle for me where I felt like, well, I'm connected to my past and I want to go on my own. But it just seems sometimes to um, journey on your own is is terrifying. Um, So I'm very much lost and in the middle. Mm -hmm. That's the honest truth. Are you working on anything artistically now? Um, yes. So, um, queer and trans trans wise, um, I was working on the TGNC portrait project, which is me, it's like Humans of New York, but getting photos of and stories of 50 people from across the country, all from a different state who happen to be TGNC. I, um, and telling their stories and taking a picture of them in a place that um, they feel the most special with their identity. So there's a trans woman who I took a photo of her um, in a um, chef outfit because she wanted to be a chef and um, that was in actually in Chinatown and other places um, people who are sex workers, educators, engineers, all types of people. It just made me think with the political climate we're in um, that people are erasing TGNC stories and are not humanizing them for who they are and how they're very, how we're all the same. Like we could all be boring and we're all just figuring ourselves out and we all have oppression and we all are um, fractured people who are also resilient. Um, and I wanted to, I've, it's been, it's like 13 to 15, um, stories I have out of 50 and I'm hoping to then make a map of the United States with black borders to represent the transphobic and exclusionary politics, but then have photos, colorful photos of resilience within each state that it's like, despite everything that these people are still rising And I think that's always been true about any marginalized community that 
they still rise. So that's something that I need more. I need to save more money to get more Polaroid film because that's expensive. Unless anyone who's listening has a connection with Polaroid. Um, there's that. There's a place in the West Village that I go to um, once a week called Art and Acceptance. Um, it's from 7 to 9 with an Episcopalian church. And they have a drop-in program for queer and trans youth and non who are at risk or homeless. Um, and I've been there for two years and we make art together for two hours. People go to join a different workshop with the artists that are teaching it, writing, visual, um, um, even cosmetic and vocal and performance. And it's just a nice place to drop in right by the pier, which is a historic queer and trans place. Um, yeah, there's that. And then just my own collages and my own writing. There's a lot of things that, um, I try to process through my art that doesn't have a greater acceptance in my society. Um, and I think art has always been my friend, always has been a place where I can pour all parts of me um, and be humanized for it. Um, is there anything else you want to share for the interview? God, I'm exhausted. <laughs> my voice is like yeah. drying out. I hope people are not bored for me talking and talking and talking. I don't think so. Anything I would like to share? Um, I guess I, I just want people to just see the humanity in others. I just, whatever, if this was a time capsule and this was seen a hundred years from now, there's always going to be some conflict between people and, um, that we're just so much of the same and we just all live on the same planet and regardless of how we identify we all want to breathe in peace we want to pee in peace we want to eat in peace we want love we want to nourish our souls we want to heal um we want to discover ourselves we want to whatever it might be you know people are tired of oppression and don't be on the side of oppression um, be intersectional, educate yourself, um, check yourself, um, and um, give in order to receive. And like I've said before, I mean, it's harder definitely as a more marginalized identity to be an intersectional activist because if I was of a more privileged identity, I gain more access to certain spaces and I'm more respected. Say if I was a cis male or female or of a certain faith or of race or whatever, that's the reality. Um, but I do the best that I can to be an ally to different communities because I know I'm asking for the same. So I throw myself into women's spaces to understand their issues. I throw myself into... Um, communities of color, undocumented, um, you know, queer, HIV, um, disabilities, all these communities that some of them I relate to and some of them I'm just coming in as an ally, as a human being. And um, I wish the world would provide for me as I'm trying to provide for them. Like, 
I try to provide for the world lack of judgment, um, empathy, um, intersectionality, respect, and many times I'm throwing myself out there and I'm not, you know, like all these queer and trans icons or anyone who we look at as that like they broke ceilings and they made change, like we might focus on all their good, but we don't know enough about how much they've suffered and how much they've challenged and we don't humanize that much as the same as their good and their accomplishments and that is so forgotten because it keeps repeating itself in history um so there is that and um yeah i mean i just i just don't i've always said that i wanted three things in life um I wanted to create, to be an artist, um, and have an impact on others with that. Um, so that's kind of like one and two. Um, and um, have a sense of peace for who I am. And I'm sorry to say, but I don't have, I'm not even close to number three. I know I'm only 25, but I have so much trauma that as much as I know that it's not my fault, it's easy to blame myself for the oppression I've been through, to feel that it has something to do with my identity that I deserve or this has happened to me. And um, really, really for anyone who's listening is um, to just understand that we're just such fragile human beings um, and allyship is such a tool for not only empowerment, but of creating change. Because so many people often ask and think, well, I'm not LGBT, so why do I have to be an ally? Or why do they want to hear me? Or I'm not a this, or I'm not that. And it's actually your privilege of not being part of that community not only spreads awareness, but also heals and pushes the community forward. Because no, you're not affected by the issues, but you do have the power to learn your and bring it into your spaces and teach others and impact those that are also not part of the community to be more aware so that we have a more um, peaceful and healthier world. Um, because, oh, I, I guess as part of the three things, like, I fear and I still fear that, like, um, me being visible sometimes is not going to make a healthy impact for someone else. Like, I'm not a RuPaul where I'm, like, shaking my thing and I'm in drag and I'm, like, being whoever I want. I say, I don't give a fuck about what people think and then everyone feels influenced and happy by me and um, are like, oh, yeah, I can, I'm an influence and role model for someone. But I felt for a long time that being visible didn't matter. Um, because of how much, um, shit I get for it. And I guess I'm hoping that my visibility or my identity or something about me makes it easier for the next generation, um, to not find, to not be isolated, to not go through painful experiences that I did, to not go through trauma, um, to be able to have an easier way of navigating and identifying who they are in this world and to feel hopeful and not be put down 
by the world because those are things I'm struggling now. And no, I'm not 85 or I'm not in a place where I'm so healed and so strong and um, I'm happy with who I am or I'm completely open with who I am. Um, so yeah, I, I just want other people's journeys to be easier and I guess it would it 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 doesn't really I don't want to be like historically famous or anything like that but like I think it would make mean something to me if I know that I was um a role model for someone who's like I see myself in the world and that's why I always encourage people when people think that their voice doesn't matter I'm like, it does because you're giving room to something that wasn't before. I mean, the Me Too movement also came out of nothing. You know, it took a bunch of people over centuries to, like, put voice to something and then become a movement. And it still needs more and more voices and more and more allies. And um, I feel like every voice from every community... It's just a human voice. Like, why it's so hard for people to realize that. And we all just want to... It's, we're all voicing because we want to be healed. We want to be heard. And, um... Yeah, I'm, I'm hurting. And I'm confused. And I'm lost, like, so many millennials. And, um... I guess coming here is hoping that I be heard and someone also feels seen and heard. Um... Yeah, so making making the trajectory of the world to one that's more peaceful thank you thank, thank you for you. sharing